Welcome back, everybody. My name is Pastor Mile. It's so good to see you here this morning. We got some people in the room here today. Uh, it's our first week back with kids, so that kind of helped a little bit. And so if you're watching from home, we're so glad to have you watching from home as well. There's a large number of you watching both the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock at home. And so thank you so much for being a part of that. Uh, thank you for being here in the room with us this morning. All of you, uh, we're in the book of Acts. And so if uh, you're just joining us, we've been in the book of Acts since Easter, uh, but we're coming through. This is our uh, sixth week in this portion of the series. So we're in Acts chapter 9 this morning. So you find your way there, Acts chapter 9, your copy of God's Word. And we're going to talk through God's buddy system. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. We're going to give you a few ideas of where that goes. But uh, we want to kind of give you some framework as to how we got here. So if you were watching with us last week, or if you were here with us last week, Pastor Brian spoke, and he talked about the Damascus Road experience. But at the beginning of chapter 9, uh, what you have is this, this statement about the Apostle uh, Paul, his name is Saul here, uh, that says that he was breathing in and out murderous threats. Uh, this is the position that, that he is in at the beginning of the chapter. Not a very friendly guy, not a very nice guy. But last week's sermon was all about not being too far gone. Not being too far gone. Not being beyond reach for God to make a connection. Not being too far gone. Not being so far lost that God is not caring about you. And so uh, we talked about some of that last week uh, of really what this, this balance of who Saul was and the way that, that God was going to pursue after him. And so I don't want to miss some of that. There's some background here before we kind of jump into today's message uh, that I want to be able to talk about here. Uh, and, and I want to start by saying this. It's settled. I'm not going to be a rock star. In case you were wondering, in case you came to the church, some of you have already decided that. When you walked in today, you said, well, that guy's not going to be a rock star. Like, you just already have that figured out. But at one point in my life, I did, as a younger person, I thought, maybe I'll be a rock star. Maybe I'll be able to be something spectacular. Uh, the reality is, is the closest that I ever got to it, and probably ever will get to it, is I joined the Marines. I joined the Marines to be in the Marine Corps band, which means that I got to tour all up and down the East Coast doing recruiting uh, gigs and playing in different cities every weekend. I wasn't of age at the time, but certainly if you were in a bar at one of these, uh, one of these gigs and you were in uniform, all the guys around me, they drank for free. They were definitely enjoying uh, the perks of being on the road. Uh, after that, I went to college, and I went to a Christian university uh, in South Carolina, and so we did something in the spring each year that was choir tour. And so being on choir tour at a small Christian university is very different from being a rock star and very different from being in the Marine Corps, but it was something that we did and something that we participated in. And so one of the things that we would do is we'd go to all these little uh, country Baptist churches as part of our choir tour, and we would stop and we would sing for a concert that evening, and the church would put us up, and we would stay in, in homes and that type of thing. And one of my best memories uh, of staying in someone's house is that in the morning when we went to get in the bus in the morning, our host family had just a duffel bag of BJ's or uh, Sam's Club candy bars. I mean, they filled a duffel bag with it. You'd think we were seventh graders, but we got so excited because this family had just filled a duffel bag full of candy. Being a rock star on tour has its perks. It's fantastic. And so uh, maybe someday you can be a rock star and get a bag full of candy bars too. Uh, but one of the things that we would do, and it comes back to this passage of Acts chapter 9, we did it for two, two years as we toured uh, with this choir, is we sang a song based on Acts chapter 9, based on the Damascus Road 
experience. Now, re- remember, I told you we were in the South. We were traveling through South Carolina, through Georgia, parts of Tennessee, and, and there was definitely a love for Southern gospel music in that area, in lots of areas, but in that particular area, they loved any song that we would do as a college choir that just got their hands clapped and then got excited about it. And so a song that goes with uh, this passage goes something like this. I got to breathe for myself. Are you ready? I'm going to try to sing an entire choir song. For, prepare yourselves, friends. This is, this is pretty big. This, this is pretty big. Think, think big. Okay, here we go. On the road to Damascus. So the guys always sing first. And then the ladies always echo with something. On the road to Damascus. I was praying. I was praying. On the road to Damascus. Jesus. Oh, I messed up my part. See, I didn't come in at the right time. On the road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, I was praying, I was praying. On the road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus was saying. And then they go, I choose the messengers who represent me to the Gentiles, and I'll send thee. On the road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, Jesus saved my soul. (sighs) That's hard to do. And the people politely clapped. Excellent job. Uh, they were, they, this, but this was not the song that we sang. The reality was, is we went to these small country churches expecting, they thought that we were a small Baptist college, that we would come and sing something in their southern gospel background, their traditions. But instead, we sang an avant-garde 20th century piece that was the same text, the same passage, uh, but it was more like this. So- Would you persecute me? Is this awkward for you? It was awkward for us too. And we're going to our director. One of us finally said, what, what are we doing? Like these people came expecting uh, on the road to Damascus. And they looked at us with the same look that you're sharing with me now. If you're at home looking at your computer with a very confused look at your face, that's what was going on. People were very confused. But our director, he sat us all down, college students sat us down and said, here's the problem. He said, too often we sing songs, too often we write music, too often we just deal with the happy parts of Scripture, and we don't deal with the tension, we don't deal with the pressure. And so the reality is, is the moment that we are entering right here, the moment of Saul breathing murderous threats out against him was a very tense moment. That's where we enter. That's the setting of this passage. It is not a journey down the road to Damascus that, you know, you're skipping, skip to my loo all the way down through. This is a tense moment. To the point where, guess what happens? Acts chapter 9, beginning of verse 17. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Kind of like you are right now. What on earth is going on here? They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. The reason why my choir director had us sing this song was because it's a song of tension, a song of, of panic, of, of, of pain. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could not see anyone. He couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. 
Some of you arriving this morning and the tension that's in this passage and the pain that I'm describing that, that Saul is going through is kind of the tension that you're feeling all around you and on top of you right now for a number of different reasons. It could be what's going on with COVID-19. It could be what's going on in your life, within your family, that you're not coming to church this morning with a happy-go-lucky stick and skip in your step. You're coming with some tension and some pain, and now what does God's Word have to say about it? Well, the reality is, is what's going to happen here this morning is we're going to enter into the story a man named Ananias. Now, now this is not Ananias the high priest. There's Ananias the high priest that was part of the council who sent Jesus to the cross. Uh, there's also an Ananias who we talked about a few weeks ago who is a, a uh, lying tither, a guy who said that he brought all the money from his property and, and God... Uh, uh, well, put him in the ground, ultimately, is what he said that. Now, this is Ananias, who will be the new best friend of Saul. This is what we are looking at today. This is the passage uh, that we're looking at, the balance that we're doing this. But I want to ask you this question. What if God were to ask you to befriend an enemy, your worst enemy? Where would you start, and where would you be, or would you be obedient? What if God asked you to befriend an enemy? Where would you start and would you be obedient? When that guy cuts you off on the 90 on your way to work this week, do you feel like, oh, God's speaking to me. So you chase him down and you just say, I'm going to share the gospel with that guy. Uh, if, if, it, if that guy turns out to be Tom Brady, okay, are we getting closer to home here? If that guy turns out to be Belichick, you're going to chase him down and now your worst enemy you're going to share the gospel with. What if God asks you to befriend your worst enemy? enemy. The reality is he already has. He already has. Look, I'm just going to put it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 6, so the guys will. Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners will do that. And if you lend to those whom, to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners will lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But Jesus says this, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Love your enemies, do good to them, no matter what. Jesus has already called you to be a friend to your worst enemy. The reality is, is when the rubber hits the road, as we're going to see here with Ananias, it's not that easy. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is God's buddy system. And, and I know that that sounds simplistic, and I'm going to kind of get into that a little bit this morning, just kind of make sense out of it, but hopefully give you something to remember this morning. God's buddy system. Now, do you know somebody named Buddy? I, many of us do. I don't know if there's anyone in our church named Buddy. Maybe there's a Buddy watching from home this morning. But anybody who goes by the name Buddy is generally a pretty happy person, a friend, friendly person. Like, hey, there's my buddy. That's Buddy. Like everyone, that's how they got the nickname. That's how Buddy got the nickname. Now, I'm not going to get into this morning, but any of your friends that you know named Bud, they seem like they're not nearly as friendly, ironically. I don't understand why, but there's some mean people that I know named Bud, but I've never met a person named Buddy that I wouldn't say is friendly. We're going to talk about God's Buddy system this morning, and let's talk first level one. Level one is the Buddy bench. I'll explain this to you. The buddy bench. What I mean by this is any of you who are elementary school teachers, you've been on the playground, many playgrounds now have something called 
the buddy bench, which is there on the playground. The idea behind the buddy bench is if you're at the playground, you're struggling, you're not able to connect with anybody, nobody seems that they'll play with you, you're just having a bad day, go have a seat on the buddy bench. And if you are playing on the playground, you see someone on the buddy bench, it's your job, your responsibility, swing over, stop by the buddy bench, pick up your buddy and go play on the playground. In many ways, that's a very simplistic view, but that's actually what's happening here. Would you read with me? Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. We're going to talk today about God's buddy system. Level one here is the buddy bench. So the buddy bench, we actually have Saul is on the buddy bench. Saul is hurting. Saul is confused. Saul is in a very difficult situation. And it's interesting that the way that God comes and speaks to Ananias is entirely different than the way that God comes and speaks to Saul. Uh, it has to do with Ananias. He comes and speaks to him quietly. There's a, there's a prompting there. When he talks to Saul, there's this bold uh, voice that comes from heaven, a bright light, a violent confrontation between Saul and God himself. Most of your Bibles, if you have a Bible that has the words of Christ in red, you're going to see here that this is an example where Jesus Christ himself is, is physically talking to the Apostle Paul. Those words are in red in your Bible. In the same way, in the next few verses, that the words are in red when he comes and talks to Ananias. That God himself is speaking through his son Jesus Christ to Saul and to Ananias. But the approach is entirely different. He comes with a sweet, small, kind voice to Ananias. And he asks him this question of, of response. And what better response could there be from Ananias than, Hear my Lord, what do you need from me? If you remember from the Old Testament, young Samuel, God comes and speaks to him in a dream. And he, he prompts him multiple times. And what is Samuel's response? Ultimately, his response is this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's the same approach that Ananias comes with here. Why Ananias? Was he a prominent Christian? Was he well known for his speaking circuit? Did people know all about Ananias and the work that he had done in the area? What did they know about Ananias? They know nothing about Ananias because he is just a normal, everyday person who God is speaking to on a regular basis. There's a relationship between them. And when he says, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? God puts him to work. His response is proper. It's all in the way that he lives his life. He is an ordinary man. He's not an evangelist. He's not one of the apostles. He's not a pastor. He's not one of the shepherds or one of the early disciples. No, he is just an ordinary man, which is actually important in the bigger story here of what God's going to do in Saul's life. Uh, Saul can't just fall under the leadership of Ananias because people would say, oh, he is just a disciple of Ananias, if Ananias was well known. No, it needed to be clear as, as the gospel was moving out that God was working in ordinary people in extraordinary ways. God was going to do something special. There was a special task here at hand for Ananias. So if we're going to talk about the buddy system or God's buddy system, level one is the buddy bench. What's level two? Level two is the buddy board. Now, to explain what the buddy board is, I, I'm going to a lifeguarding 
background or being at a public pool. Some of you remember that there was buddy boards on the side. When you come into the pool, uh, you picked a tag, you picked a number, and someone else that you came with picked the same tag. They picked the same number. You took them off of the buddy board, and you walked over to the other side of the pool, and you hung your tag on the other side of the pool, signifying that you were taking the tag, you were taking responsibility for the person that you were there in the pool with. So occasionally they'll stop all the activity in the pool and they say, where's your buddy? And you say, I'm buddy, and they go through the tag system, one through 10 or whatever it is. And you say, I'm, we're buddy number one, buddy number two, number not, right, with me? Anyone have a pool like this? Okay, you get the idea, I see one. So the two of us went to the same pool, okay. But just track with me, the tag system is a way uh, to be able to keep track of kids, particularly at summer camp, which is why Sam is probably raising his hand on that. So if God's buddy system, we've got the buddy bench, we're going to talk about the buddy board here. Let me explain what this is coming from. Acts 9, beginning in verse 13. The Lord, Ananias, answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests who can arrest all who call on your name. Well, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is the second time he's told him this. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. In God's buddy system, there is the buddy bench and now there is the buddy board. So certainly, Ananias had heard about this man, Saul, this angry man who's going through, he's a violent persecutor of Christians. They have heard of him. In Damascus, they had had meetings about him. The Christians there were prepared for Saul as he was coming. They knew that as he, <coughs> Scripture tells us, he was breathing out murderous threats towards the Christians, that he is coming after them. They know that he is coming, anxiously preparing for the persecution that is to come, praying that God will keep them strong when the persecution arrived. He says, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done. His, his objections are perfectly logical. He's saying this is, this is a bad place to be. They're well founded in, in, in where they're coming from. They presume though that God needs instruction or at best counsel when he says, God, did you know what type of person that Saul is? He's a bad guy. God, I don't know if you got the CNN feed this morning, but it doesn't look good that Saul is coming after us. Are you aware of this God? Yes, he's aware. Of course he's aware. He's God. But Ananias, just like you and me, has this moment, this moment of panic, says, no, 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 you must be talking about a different Saul. No, Saul of Tarsus. But do you understand who Saul is? Yes, I understand who Saul is. It's the right guy. Go to him. And using this illustration of the buddy board, basically God is calling him and saying, this is his tag. I want you to take his tag. This is his tag. This is the specific person. I want you to put your name next to his on the board. But God, do, do, do you know who Saul is? He, he, he's person. Yes. Yes, son, I know. He's the right one. Because why? Because God considered Saul to be his chosen vessel or his chosen instrument to be used long before there appeared anything worthwhile in Saul. He's not too far gone, is what the message was last week. He's already decided that, that Saul is of use to him, and Ananias needed to be able to see that as well. God had chosen him. He knew that he could make Saul into something more. He knew that he could mold him and shape him into something else, even though Ananias couldn't see that yet. 
And so what he calls him to do and challenges him to do, not only is to see him on the buddy bench, but to take his tag and say, put your tag next to his on the buddy board. You see, in God's buddy system, there's the buddy bench, there's the buddy board. Thirdly, there's the battle buddy. The battle buddy. Now, I served in the Marine Corps. Some of you served in the Army. This is a term that's very specific to the Army. They build uh, things right out of boot camp, right from the beginning, uh, that you're going to have your battle buddy. And the Army is very strategic about this. When they put you in boot camp or put you in a, in a new unit, that they actually put you with people you would not normally be paired with. They try to put someone who's from a rural area to put them with someone who's from an urban area. They try to put someone who is from uh, the southern states and put them with someone who's African-American or the different connections that you wouldn't typically make so that they want to make sure that you work through that stuff while in training so that when you're in battle, when you're in combat, when the bullets are flying overhead, that this battle buddy is going to be someone who's going to be there with you when it happens. Check this out, beginning in verse 17, the battle buddy. Placing his hands on Saul, he said what? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could do what? He could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Skip down a few more verses, if you will, <coughs> to verse 26. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You see, in God's... In God's buddy system, there is the buddy bench, there's the buddy board, and then there's the battle buddy. Aren't you grateful that God has called people like Barnabas and called people like Ananias to go out and be, uh, extend the welcome to people who are far from him, to understand that there's going to be simple friendship is going to be necessary in the family of God if we're going to be part of the body of Christ together. Later, Paul would write, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes, and a lot of times we use this, this passage, we use it oftentimes as a wedding ceremony passage that talks about all the different characteristics of love. But it's not really written for a husband and wife, it's written for the local church. And we need to see these things valued in the local church. And really what, what he's saying, when, when love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, so Paul has got to be looking back in his life and seeing what happened when Ananias and when uh, Barnabas were able to take and love him when he was unlovely, love him in that moment, in that space, put their arms around him and say, we're going to battle together with you. When Ananias lays his hands on Saul. First of all, we talk often about the transformation uh, of Saul. His name uh, is later referred to in the, in the book of Acts. We start to hear him called Paul because that was something traditionally done. Jewish tradition would say when something significant has happened in your life, change your name. There's an there's a anchor point here. But there's even this transitional name we see in this passage. We see Saul, this was the name at first, but here we see the name Brother Saul is what Ananias calls him. There's this transitional name. There's this transitional time where he's coming. He's, he's placing his hands on him and connecting with him and saying, you are my brother and one day you will be Paul. But right now, I, I just need you to be Brother Saul for me here. 
And so when he lays his hands on him, it's not only a gesture. We see the laying on of hands in Scripture oftentimes that talks about really the laying on of the Holy Spirit's power working in someone's life uh, and putting them in a leadership position oftentimes. It's not just that. We cannot forget the tension of the moment that Saul is blind. He cannot see. Saul hasn't eaten in three days. Saul is trembling and terrified and afraid because of his Damascus Road encounter with a holy God. And when Ananias comes and simply puts his hand on his shoulder, he's connecting with him in a human relationship type of way. When he could not see the love in Ananias' face, he could feel the love with that hand on his shoulder. He communicated it through his touch. And most oftentimes when you see uh, military coming back from a battle or coming back from a time of war, what do you often see when pictures that demonstrate that? You see men with their arms around one another coming out of battle because they're embracing because of something significant that they have been through together. See, just like boot camp, God had taken and broken him down. God had done an effective job of breaking Saul down. And God was not intending to leave him broken down. He was intending to use men like Barnabas, men like Ananias, to fill him up, to build him back up. He was not going to leave him that way. He was going to push him into something else incredible. That's what God does. That's what God's buddy system looks like. How do we know that that's true? Well, because he demonstrated for us perfectly. You see, in God's buddy system, Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus is the perfect example. In John chapter 15 and verse 12, it says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus demonstrated this perfectly for us to see what a buddy or what a friend really looked like. You see, we can talk about buddy Jesus as as a commentary on what happens in our culture today of how simplistic people will look at the life of Jesus. But a bobblehead Jesus on our dashboard that bobbles back and forth and gives us a thumbs up that, hey, things are going, that's my buddy, that's my Jesus. If you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about. This is not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about, he says, I will lay my life down for you, and this is what you should do as well. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We're going to transition here because the first Sunday of every month, we take a time of communion together to be able to share in communion meal together. And it's a little bit different right now because of COVID. We have to do things a little bit differently. Typically, we would have... Uh, communion trays that we would pass around and we would send to the back. Uh, This morning you have something in the pew in front of you that looks a little bit like a coffee creamer. Uh, You'll see if you look carefully there's a thin piece of plastic on the top and there is a wafer there on the top and then the second uh, more of a tin foil piece that you'll pull off and that'll have the juice in there as well. Be careful. Don't necessarily need to open it all up quite yet. I don't want you to get yourself uh, spillage uh, on you here. But as we talk about communions, we've got to understand that loving each other as I have loved you is what Jesus demonstrates. That's why we share in communion together, in common union one with another. The Lord's Supper is a time to remember Jesus' death on the cross. That's why this supper is being shared together, so we don't forget about 
what Jesus has done for us. He is the perfect example. Ironically, it's, it's Paul's words that we most often use when we come to the communion table, when we share together in communion. It's, it's Paul's words that we share from 1 Corinthians because he is giving us a demonstration of what it looks like to be a man who has seen the perfect example in Jesus and has seen the human example in Barnabas and Ananias of what it looks like to pursue Christ. It's a time of personal reflect, reflection, communion is. Be able to weigh ourselves against what, what really we are supposed to be. It's a time to understand the unity of the body of Christ and the way that we're supposed to function one with each other and how uh, that he has given us a spirit of unity and not a spirit of discord. And he has given us that by paying for it, that sacrifice of his very life. Greater love has no one than this, than laying one's life down for a friend. The Lord's Supper is much more than sipping some grape juice and eating a wafer. If you're taking part with us this morning here, if you're at home and you actually have some real grape juice and some real bread, you're a step ahead of us. Because whatever's in here is probably more like styrofoam than than a piece of bread. But it's an illustration. It's an illustration that demonstrates for us so much more than just what is the juice that's there and what is the bread. And we, we don't believe that the body of Christ is literally in here. We believe that it's an illustration of the body of Christ. How he has sacrificed himself for us. And how we are to evaluate ourselves against that perfect, holy example. It's also a time for us to be thankful for the sacrifice that that other Christ followers have made before. Early sacrifices like what we see here with Ananias. Sacrifices that we see all the way through the book of Acts. Making sure that the gospel would ripple out. And we have communion or common human union with believers from all generations. When we see in the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says Jesus was teaching them that the gospel would go out from where? From Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we get the challenge because of persecution that we see them going where they were in Jerusalem, and they went into Judea, they went into Samaria, and they went to where? The uttermost parts of the earth. We're the uttermost parts of the earth, friends. And so we have common union union across generations to be able to understand that we commune with those who gave and sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. So this morning I'll read from you. You can open up that top sheet now. I'll read from you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 regarding the body of Christ. These are the words of the Apostle Paul and they say this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed... He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which has been broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's take together. You can very carefully open up that second layer. Jesus met with his disciples. He gave them the perfect example. He wanted them to continue to share this meal together. As we share this together, it's not a a meal here in the natural sense by any stretch of the imagination here this morning. But it's an understanding that we are connecting to and in fellowship one with another. Not because we are members of this church, because we are members of the body of Christ. So just like his body was broken for us, In the same way, he also says he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. And you can place that back in that cup holder in front of you. We're reminded through communion, through this simple act, and we do it monthly here, and you can see, be at churches that will do it even more often than that, to be reminded of the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for you and for me. But don't miss, friends, this morning, and this is the connection to the message today, that how God's buddy system is supposed to work. Because not only does he give us the command to love one another, he gives us the command to do what? To go and make disciples. I'm speaking of this this morning lightly and, and, and kind of having fun with the idea of the, the buddy system. But what this buddy system really is all about or what the illustration is really all about is discipleship. We were told to go into all the world making disciples and doing what? Baptizing them. That's what we see here. And teaching them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what we see here. And so it's not by happenstance that we talk about these things as levels, as levels of maturity, as levels of discipleship. Because really the buddy bench is really all about understanding and seeing that there are people who are hurting and there are people who are lost. There are people who are far from God. They're in a very painful state because they are gone from a holy God. And the reality is, is that we have been called. Level one is that we have been called to share the love of Jesus Christ with someone who's on the buddy bench. Many of you have people in your life. If you think about it, you realize that, that they are in that moment. They are on the buddy bench, and just like the playground, they need someone to come alongside of them. But the reality is that's just level one of spiritual maturity. That's level one of helping disciple someone. That's level one of being able to say, I want to come alongside of you. That's level one. Level two is saying even more so when there's something significant that needs to be done. When, when the tag's on the board, say, I'm taking that tag. I'm taking responsibility for this person to be able to help in their spiritual development, to help be a discipler in the process. Because that is what God has demonstrated for us. That's the example that he has given for us. And then level three is the battle buddy. That not only is he saying, I'm going to take the tag, but no, I'm going to go into battle with this person. We're going to experience some spiritual persecution together. When you look at Barnabas and what he goes through with Paul, they went through some significant things together. And it's an understanding that that's a different level of discipleship. And some of you have been at level one of discipleship for a while. Some of you may be at level two. But God is calling us to be willing to step out there. Just like he called Ananias. He says, wait a minute, do you know who Saul is? And God says, yes. So God is prompting some of you saying, do you know how hard that is? And God says, yes, I know how hard that is. Go into the world and make disciples. It's not an easy task. So whether you're on the buddy bench, the buddy board, a battle buddy, this is all part of God's buddy system for discipleship. No matter where you are on those systems, there's always a buddy check. If you're at the pool, there's always a buddy check in that system let's match our tags up. Where's your buddy? Where is he? You come back from battle. If you're your battle buddy, they say, where's your buddy? You went out to battle with this guy. Where is he? Is he okay? Bring him back. Bring him here. This is an important piece for us to understand. There's always got to be a buddy check. 
And if this morning's message is the buddy check for you, the, the gut check to be able to say, where are you at in this discipleship process? How is God working? Maybe you're the guy sitting on the buddy bench that just needs someone to come alongside of you. That's okay. That's what the buddy check is for. You ask yourself against that perfect example, Jesus Christ. Well, where should I start? Where will I be obedient? Where should you start, friends? Where will you be obedient? Well, you should start the same place Ananias started. And he says, here am I. What do you want from me, Lord? The answer is yes. I don't know what you have for me, but the answer is yes. I don't know how I'm going to go and talk to Saul. I don't know how I'm going to go to this house on Straight Street. I don't know how I'm going to find it, but I'll go. I'll go. I'll respond. So this morning, Lord, we pray that as your word comes alive, as we, as we dig into this passage, Lord, there are some here uh, who have, have talked through and thought through a Damascus Road experience, Lord, one where they have come to a, a violent uh, breaking point between their old life and their new life. But for many more, Lord, the, the, the point is more similar to Ananias, where there is a, a still small voice prompting them this morning. The question still remains of will they be willing to respond? Will you be willing to respond to God's prompting on your heart? What it looks like to be made a disciple, what it looks like to disciple others, what it looks like to be a battle buddy for someone going through an extremely difficult season. Or do you have demonstrated it for us perfectly? You told us to love others as you have loved us. And you loved us sacrificially and you loved us beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. So this morning I pray that there would be some, some that would respond and say yes to the call on their lives. The simple call to meet someone at a buddy bench, to, to do more than that, to go into battle with someone, Lord, whatever it is, we know that the challenge is, is there. Your word is speaking, your word is true. This is a gut check as the response. We trust you, Lord. We've got 10,000 reasons to trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.